this morning, as, as we're coming through here, I wanted you to remember this. Today, in the era in which we live, it seems most predominantly the term for those who are believers or followers of Christ, we are predominantly called Christians, correct? Now, that word was first used, we've, we've learned previously, in Antioch. And then we came to recognize that word did not become the dominant word of that day. The dominant word continued to be disciples. Now, we liked that idea of Christianas because it shows and connects not simply random disciples, but that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we never want Christ left out of that. But what's frighteningly, Christ can just become a name or a token. And we can have people who, who carry on with the notion that they are Christians in name, in religion, in culture, but they are not disciples. And, 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 and they, they don't even really quite understand that term. They, they maybe develop it into this idea that, well, within the church, there are going to be those two or three who are more keenly interested in spiritual things, and they will be separated from the others, and they will be discipled, whereas the rest will simply be left to kind of grow as and when and how they want to. Have you observed that? That is not the way that it takes place in the scriptures. Indeed, there, there, is, there is not a separate division of Christians, believers, church members who are disciples and some who are not. Indeed, if you are not a disciple of Christ, you are not of Christ. And a little bit frightening, we even see, we'll see today that there are some who might join alongside of the disciples, join their voice with them, even to some degree participate with them, but in time prove not to be disciples. Now, this is drawn out as we're in Acts chapter 14 today, focusing on verse 21 and 22. It had said this, when they had preached the gospel in that city and had, the ESV says, made many disciples. Now, if you're, if you're carrying the old King James there, it simply says, taught many. But the strength of this Greek word here is more than just randomly taught many. It is made disciples. Now, made disciples by means of instruction. And it will go on to even say in verse 22, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. And so I want to focus in briefly on that idea of disciples. Because it's not a term that we generally use today. Though it was a more common phrase in those days. It would be someone who is a follower, a learner, a student, an apprentice. We don't live in that kind of world anymore too often where those things take place. And I want us to just get a sense of this, this idea. Someone who was a disciple is someone who is first and foremost 
a follower of Christ. Now, let me repeat this again, because sometimes we get things in our language that become figures of speech. First and foremost, we use that phrase without maybe thinking of the full import. I mean both of those words at this point. First and foremost. It is he that we follow above and before all and any else. When, when we're in the scriptures, it tells us these words in Matthew 8, verse 19. It says, actually, a scribe came up to him, to Jesus, and said to him in Matthew 8, 19. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That is intended to be a pledge of discipleship. He's, he's declared the relationship, teacher, which makes him what? student and learner he's not there to give ideas instruction and suggestions he's there to receive to learn and to follow teacher i will follow you wherever you go i like that now he may not even as he was saying it really fathom the full import of what that might demand of him it would be easy to see Jesus in certain stages of his earthly ministry where there are multitudes following him, 5,000 plus women and children, and him breaking bread and fish and feeding all of them. And people want to sort of jump on the bandwagon. Look, he's gaining momentum. He's gaining followers. Soon, clearly, he's going to be taken and made king of the Jews, and he's going to be known as the Messiah. And I want to be on that team because that's important. Here's where I'm at now. If I can link myself onto him, I'm not merely a scribe who oftentimes worked for and with the Pharisees and Sadducees. But I'm linking to the Messiah who's going to take me to the next rung on the ladder. Take me higher. I will follow you wherever you go. And you wonder, because I think it's going to be good. Because I think it's going to be beneficial. I think it's going to be easy. You wonder if that was mixed in his heart and mind because of the reply of Jesus. Because what is Jesus' reply there in Matthew 8? Jesus says to him, as he says, I will follow you wherever you go. He says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, this is not a promise of prosperity. It's not a promise of a path of ease. You're saying you will follow me wherever. What if that what, whatever is through the fire? Through the briars and the bramble. Through the thorns and the scorpions. Will you then also follow? When it gets uncomfortable. When it's not easy. Will you still follow? Now... With the rich young ruler, we remember where he said, sell everything you have and follow me. The rich young ruler went away. 
we don't exactly know what this scribe did. You know, in my, in my hope and imagination, he, he followed Jesus. Now with a clearer expectation. And, and that becomes the, 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 the real question. Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? Have you been able by the Spirit to look upon him and as the disciples themselves would say, even written in the Gospels, they beheld his glory as of the glory of the Father. To whom else will we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. It, it, the reality is when you come to see the glory of God in the face of Christ through the gospel proclaimed, people could, you, you could be told, listen, this is going to mean through the valley of the shadow of death more frequently than beside the still waters. And you would still say, Absolutely, because through the valley of the shadow of the death, I'm going to pass through it. That's not where I'm going to always abide. I'm going to pass through it and I'm going to be with him. And there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. But for everyone else who thinks right now they're in the green pastures and thinks they're beside the still waters. The reality is this. They're going to go into and never emerge from that valley of death. They don't get it. And, and, and then it goes on. And Jesus, I wanted to note this here. Jesus says... Uh, and another disciple, it says, foxes, he has nowhere to lie. It says, and another of the disciples said to him, verse 21 of Matthew 8, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Just a, which, which seems like a reasonable thing. Now, of course, scholars get involved and it gets more and more confusing. Some people will say, well, his father has recently passed and he wanted to. Others say, well, Maybe soon to pass, or maybe until he passes years from now, once I, once I finish all of my duties. It doesn't, the, the, let, let these individuals speculate all they want to. The, the simple reality of this is this individual had a priority in his life that came before following Christ. I will, but first. I will, but after. That's a scary notion, isn't it? But it's easy. And, and then even further, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And it does make me uncomfortable when scholars like to say this was a, a, a little bit disrespectful, a little bit harsh. No, you know, uh, uh, putting down the, uh, the responsibilities to mother and family and otherwise. It, that's not the intention here. The clear intention that we must not miss is Christ first and foremost. He says, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, it says, his disciples followed him. So this, the first thing that I want us to understand about disciples is they are followers. 
They follow Christ. Wherever he leads, they follow. Now, the second thing I want us to, to get in this, and, and that following often was physically. They would literally go where he was going. That practically is more challenging for us as he's no longer incarnate and walking around here. But we walk in the same way that he walked, which was always pleasing to his father. But secondly, it's not only following Christ as a first priority, but it is following Christ's instruction, teaching, doctrine. It says this. Jesus says these words um, in, in Mark chapter 4. He went about doing a lot of teaching. You remember this. Everywhere he went, he was teaching and preaching. In Mark chapter 4, he is there preaching and he's, he's doing so with many parables. Similar to and, and a parallel to what we know in Matthew chapter 13. It says this. Concerning the masses of people, it says, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Okay, the, the design was those who were his disciples would be taught, instructed, carefully guided. And, and it, it wasn't that the intention of Jesus, that for the disciples, that they would be left confused. Now, we remember still, and it shocks us at times where Jesus tells the, his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over, mocked, beaten, spit upon, crucified, and rise again the third day. And the scripture says, they did not understand what he was saying to them. That often is like, what? I mean, how could he have said it more clearly? Well, it's not that he, there's no way to say it more clearly, but their expectation of what the Messiah would be didn't fit that story. Jesus' explanation of, of, of his purpose to be the Savior who suffers for the sins of his people, that's not what they wanted. They wanted someone who's not, they didn't grasp that he was going to deliver his people from their sin and build for himself a spiritual kingdom of which he will be at the head. No, in their mind, he would be an earthly king. And Israel, once again, would be the head and not the tail. It, it was so rooted in the nation and in the flesh that they couldn't put those pieces together. But remember, after Jesus rose from the dead, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. And he explained it to them. And then by the grace of God, they understood the message that was being given to them. But Jesus was explaining things to them. In Matthew 13, it says this to them. In, in Matthew 13, 11, he answered them saying, to you. It has been given to know the mysteries or secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. So here, here's the beauty of it. In the plan of God, it is to 
reveal in the gospel gospel truths that make disciples. And then as they are made disciples, they continue to grow in the truths that God has revealed in Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 8, verse 10, it said, very similarly, it says, To you it has been given to know the things of the kingdom of heaven, but to others they are in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Which here's the difference. To, to the world, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not understand. To the believer, the design is seeing that we should perceive and hearing, we come to understand. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't remain some obscure, esoteric religion. It is firm. It is clear. It is concrete. It is revealed. In Matthew 11, 1, it says this, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. As you read through, he taught them. He explained everything to them. He was instructing them. This is happening over and over again. But listen, they not only come to understand his instruction, but also to obey his instruction. Listen to what it says in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, as we move down towards verse 46, Jesus is teaching in many places. And here he, he's there near the Sea of Galilee and his brothers and his mother come to where he's teaching. And someone comes to him and tells him, your brother and your mother's ha mother has come here. And it tells us here in Matthew chapter 12, Verse 48, it says, he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, please note this. Did Jesus know that he was talking about Mary and James? And he, Jesus knew who, who, who his earthly mother is but what he's going to do and, and what the scriptures so beautifully do is it marks out the household of God that there ultimately is in the union we share through the blood of Christ a union that is deeper and thicker than shared blood in our veins and he says this it says in verse 49 stretching out his hands towards his disciples he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so ultimately he's saying is this is the real Question, it is those who are disciples that bear that real relationship. And I guess even more significant, and, and we've got to not miss in this, they follow Christ, they follow his instruction, they, by understanding and by doing, and they follow him rather than tradition. Now, in Matthew 15, this accusation is brought 
by some of those who are gathered there, some of these uh, Pharisees. It says in Matthew 15, verse 2 and 3, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now listen, I am not discouraging the washing of hands before you eat. I actually will encourage that. And you're free to break the traditions of the elders, but do not defy the instruction of your mama. And if she says, wash your hands, wash your hands. But they had this idea that there was some sort of ceremonial uncleanness that would happen. And they, all of these kinds of things. And Jesus puts into this very accusation that they've brought. And he says, he answers them this. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? So we've got, we want to understand this. A person who is a true disciple is not someone who's devoted to particular traditions, denominational traditions, historic traditions, but committed to the truth as revealed by Christ. Now, let me be realistic for a moment. There are distinctive groups and churches, uh, denominations of sort, who demonstrate a greater commitment to the teaching of Christ than do others. So let's not miss that. But we don't want to weave into it our traditions. Then we might visit another church and they do things a little bit differently than what we're familiar with. And they're not quite as spiritual as we are. You know? I've seen this happen today. We will observe the Lord's Supper and there are churches that observe it every Sunday. And, and those who are common, you commonly observe it every Sunday, they'll visit another church and say, I didn't really feel like I went to church today because we didn't. No, no, no. And someone who uh, attends a church that has it less frequently, monthly or more on, more than that, they'll visit another church, maybe the week after they've had it in their church, and, and feel like, ha, ah, this church just seems to be more ritualistic, and, you know, I just, something's uh, off. And then people develop their own feelings. You know, I like more casual, and I like more high church, and all this kind of stuff gets wrapped in. And what I encourage all of us to do significantly is always step back from the I like and the I prefer and say, what does the Word of God instruct? What is the Word of God set as the priority? What is the teaching of Christ? What is the truth of Christ? How can we best follow and obey Him? And we may still fall short of doing it perfectly, but we don't give ourselves to traditions. I want to remind you of this as well. This idea of, of, of making and training and instructing disciples in the Great Commission, which we're always we're all familiar with, right? In Matthew chapter 28, the scriptures there say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, sadly, the King James there simply says, teach all nations. But the, the, the strength of the word there, it, it's, it's rooted to the very same word as disciple, matateo. It's the, rooted to the same word. Make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, listen. Teaching them 
So there's, there's too strong emphasis there. You go and you preach the gospel. And I don't want us to miss this. Verse 21 of Acts 14 said this. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples. Apart from the preaching of the gospel, no true disciples will be made. Discipleship begins with the declaration of the grace of God given us in Christ. In all that he is, in all that he did. And all that he has said that he will do. And further, but that's not the end of discipleship. You take those who by the grace of God have, have been brought to respond to the gospel. As you have by preaching made disciples as God's grace was at work. You take those who come forward in their declaration that he is now the one I will learn from. He is now the one that I will follow. And you baptize them. Who's being baptized? Disciples. Those who have heard and by grace believed the gospel. Baptizing them. Not them and their family members. Them and their ancestors or their babies. But them. Baptizing them and teaching them. But notice this. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So when does discipleship end? It doesn't. We want to continue to learn and to grow and to be instructed. And that's why we want, to, we want to be a people who preach through the scriptures, who preach the whole counsel of, of, of the word. It's not that sad notion that you're simply trying to hand out tickets to heaven. And if you've got your ticket, you're good. It's not that. And it's not make converts. It's not solicit professions. It's not lead people in a repetitive prayer. It's make disciples, which is the beginning of a journey that does not end till we stand in his presence. Until, as the scripture said, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Brothers and sisters, until that day, we are working, learning, growing. We are being conformed to the image of his son. But if I was to ask who among us who sit here today has achieved perfect Christ-likeness. I know I would get a, a, a firm response. Not I. And if I pushed you a little further, those honest among us would say, far from it. But by grace, pressing on. By grace, striving. Now I want to remind you, the scripture tells us of those who followed for a season, but are false disciples. And I want us to, to, to get this. Someone simply saying, I joined the church, I joined the group, I joined the community, does not make it so. We do remember, John says, they went out from us because they were not of us. Well, we thought they were. 
And now you know they never were. How do you know? They left. They went out. Well, isn't it possible that they went out for some other reason? No. Well, isn't it possible they were of us and then... No. If they were of us, what happens? They remain. Now, realistically, there can be some who physically remain among us. But we're talking a little stronger. Do they remain followers of Christ? Not just hanging out with, spending time with, in proximity to disciples of Christ. Listen, um, in, in John 6, and we know this section well, it says in verse 60, when many of his disciples, okay, so that, that term was, was attributed to them. Many of his disciples heard it. What did they hear? Jesus' teaching. And was Jesus' teaching soft and easy, comfortable and earthly acceptable? No, we remember, what has he said in this passage? He said, I'm the bread of life. He said all of this strong language. And then even further, those things that still rock people's minds and worlds. No man comes to me unless the Father draws him. What? Uh-uh, it's my choice. If I want to or if I don't want to. No, no, no. No one comes unless the Father draws. But what if I want to? You won't until the Father draws. But what if he draws and I don't want to? You won't. Because when the Father draws, he draws you inwardly, making you willing, opening your eyes to see the glory of God, the wonders of God, the truth of God, the grace of his love, the surety of his hope. There's nowhere else to go because he's revealed his truth to you. And so when Jesus has said these kinds of things that, that, that even today, a lot of people say, well, yeah, no, no, that, that can't be. Then Jesus goes on later and says, no one can come to me unless it is given him by the Father. Are you not getting this? He repeats it again. Well, yeah, well, we disagreed the first time, so what's the point in repeating it? Well, the point is you can't keep disagreeing with the truth that's revealed in Scripture. You keep disagreeing. Teacher says something. Disciple says, nah. You know what that means? I'm not his disciple. Because a disciple says, well, if that's what you say, then that's how I am to believe, how I am to understand, how I am to do, because you know better. It's a frightening world we live in. When people will declare themselves Christians and declare themselves disciples and then seek to declare that they know better than the word. Or worse than that, when the word has spoken clearly and strongly, they work all manner of, of mistaken interpretive gymnastics and and flexible nonsense yoga to try to make this passage fit their belief system. 
instead of falling in line with the word of God. What happened here? It says his disciples, their response is, this teaching is hard. Who can listen to it? That is, who can accept it? Look, we're ready to follow you as long as we like what you're saying. You know, when we like your teaching, when it's acceptable to us, when it's pleasing to us, when it makes us feel at ease, when it makes us feel good, it makes us feel comfortable, when it makes us feel worthy, when it makes us feel important. We, We like that. So do that. But this makes us feel weak. Makes us feel hopeless. It makes us feel impotent and in need of grace. It makes it seem like uh, apart from God, we can do nothing. Yeah, you're, you're getting it. But it says, who can listen to it? Who can receive it? Who can accept it? Who can tolerate it? Now, if we were there, we would answer them. Uh, all of his true disciples. Every single one of his true disciples can listen to it. Because they realize the moment he says it, I now know truth. (laughs) Because he does not teach wrong. And then it says, as we go down, Jesus, it says, verse 61. Knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? And then down to verse 66, you can jump down with me. It says, after this. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Hmm. That teaching, it's too hard. Forget it. That, that's not for me. Let me find a teacher who tells me the things I want to hear. Now, we, we, we've considered this before. What does Paul tell Timothy about these last days? In which we live. People are going to accumulate for them. Teachers who teach them. What their itching ears are desiring to hear. You know. When, when basically they just. You know. Add Christ and the spirit. To self help messages. Or you can, can hardly distinguish between what's being said by Oprah or by a preacher. That's not right. It ought not be. We say what the scriptures say. Many of them dis- turned away. And Jesus turns to the twelve and says, do you want to go away as well? And what do they say? Simon Peter says, Lord, Lord, to whom Shall we go? We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the one. Whatever you say, we believe. Whatever you instruct, we do. Wherever you lead, we follow because you are the Holy One of God. We are your disciples. Lead Instruct, teach, we receive, accept, and follow, unchanging. Now, I want to draw your attentions also briefly. There we saw some turn away. Jesus was very strong in his language. Uh, You know, we, we sometimes, I think, miss it 
The scriptures, Jesus himself says, narrow is the way, and few are those who will find it. And men have been constantly trying to make the way easier and wider. But easy and wide is the road that leads to destruction. And, and so Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, and you can turn there if you want to, in Luke 14, verse 26 and following, Jesus begins to give instruction. This is one that, a section that always struck me heavily. Because when we go around and he says to people, follow me, follow me, follow me, we like that. He's calling people to follow him. That's, that's, that's sweet and inclusive. Jesus is also strong and exclusive too. He calls people to follow him and be his disciples, but it's not an unqualified discipleship. Listen to what it says in verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, and he uses very strong language here, the strongest language that you could use. It says, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife. Now, uh, the, the hesitation for a moment is some people who have had tough relationships say, well, that's me. I hate my father and, I, and mother and, and the wife. Oh, yeah. You know, you know. Like, no, 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 no. You're, miss, you're missing the point. We're talking about a father and a mother and wife and children that you love. The parallel passages to this one say, love the father more than. And so, why the use of hate here? This hyperbolic language, this language of strong exaggeration is to show that the love of God and Christ is not but a smidge more than the love of our most beloved people. It is, we compare those that we actually love the most in this world... To those that we practically bear a little bit of hatreds towards. Our enemies. You, you could probably think of someone that you'd be entirely comfortable never seeing or hearing from again. Okay? I'm not saying it's good of you to, that you feel that way. But you can still nonetheless probably think of someone like that. And the divide between those that you love and would hope to see and spend time with daily, and that other person that you hate and hope to never see again, that's a big divide, isn't it? That's the image that is trying to be conveyed here. Here, here is your, your greatest earthly love, but your love for God is immeasurably more than that. Such that the comparison between how much you love him and the next love can be compared in scope to love and hate. That's strong language, isn't it? But notice that the, it doesn't simply stop there. It doesn't say father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. It says, yes, even his own life. And I want to just note this real quick. Some people say, oh, 
I'm willing to give up my life for him. Because that means what? I don't have to go to work tomorrow. You know, I, don't, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of freedoms and a lot of releases if I die for God. I'm ready to die. Yeah, are you ready to die daily? That's a different idea, isn't it? Are, are you ready to set aside living for self? Living for this world, living in pride, living for possessions, living for even others, and live first and foremost for God. Jesus ends verse 26 by saying this, you know, if, you didn't, if anyone hates, does not, uh, comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife, children, brothers, sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, but I want to. But you can't. Uh, I esteem you very highly. I, I, I think you're great. I love you. Cannot be my disciple. Yes, I can if I want. No, you can't. Who decides who can and can't? The master. And he says, you cannot be my disciple. So any, if there's any person or any people that are a priority over Christ, cannot be his disciple. Now remember, we've got to be careful. Some people take truth and then they abuse it. Well, then I'm not going to worry about my family and take care of them. The person who does not take care of his own family is worse than an unbeliever. That's what the scripture teaches. We parents have an obligation, husbands and wives, to love each other. Uh, parents to love their children, to, to children to provide, to care for. So, so don't miss this. Christ being our utmost and highest passion and priority does not mean we neglect our responsibilities that God has put in our lives today, okay? I've even heard uh, of individuals who have supposedly, well, God called me to the mission field. My wife doesn't feel called. The children are in school. So I left them and went. But what? <laughs> Hold on a second here. <laughs> um, you have a responsibility before God. How are you still providing, loving, caring for them? How are you raising your children in the nurture and admonition? How are you fulfilling all of these things that God has placed upon you? Well, uh, see, so, so again, as I'm painting the extremes, people are prone to some forms of excess that leads to other expressions of neglect and i'm trying to make sure we don't fall into that it says in verse 27 of luke 14 whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple and some of the passages parallel say take up their cross daily and follow me now, generally speaking, without trying to get too much into a, a deep consideration, does anyone want to carry a cross? Generally speaking, if you were carrying a cross, it says, bear his own cross. When someone, so it's not like, uh, uh, 
Simon or Simeon the Cyrene who's carrying Jesus's cross. It says his own cross. What does it mean you're headed to? It is, it is weighed down under, under a sense of weight and burden and going to die. Someone who's carrying their own cross, are they living for their own ease? Are they living for their own comfort? Are they living for their own pleasure? No. Ease, comfort, and pleasures have no place on the hierarchy of value for the believer. What do, those things are all washed out by a, I like what it says, take it up and come after me. So it's not just a call to live a hard life. It's a call that come what may in the setting aside of unnecessary things and doing that which is a priority. Being willing to struggle and suffer as is necessary. Lastly, down to, jump down with me if you would to verse 33. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So basically, it, it, this unfolds in this way. If he is not more important to you than any person, including yourself, you're not his disciple. If he's not more important to you than any pleasure and ease and comfort, you're not his disciple. If he's not more important to you than any possession that you have, you're not his disciple. Because when you know him, suddenly you realize he's the true treasure. There's no treasure like him. There's no person like him. I will gladly suffer in likeness to my Savior that I may also be resurrected and be with Him. It is that our eyes are fixed on Him. It's all about being with Him. Nothing else sort of matters. Now I'm going to zip through because it, it goes quickly, the remaining things. So we see that sense of making disciples. And in, in terms of a practical, if someone would say, how can I assess if, I, if I'm really, because in the midst of the world, sometimes we do get distracted by the things that are in the world. How, how, can, how can I assess myself that I might see clearly the path in front of me that I would be a good and true disciple? You know, we, I've shown you the things you ought to love, and there's a simple way that you, you kind of test how you use uh, your time and how you use your, your talents or abilities. And how you use your treasures. How do you use those things. Will give you a sense. Of what you value. You know. oftentimes you, you might take. And I'll give an example that hopefully won't hit home today. And then you can think of examples for yourselves that do hit home. But you can think of. A, maybe a young person who gets caught up in the gaming world. Which generally they may not be being paid for or compensated in any way. Although I know there are professionals now. But how much time does that individual who claims to love Christ and be a follower of him. How much time do they spend playing a game as, as opposed to in prayer and the consideration of the word? 
I mean, both are there. Both are accessible. Most of us don't lock our Bibles in, in, a, in a gun locker in between services so, so that they aren't accessible, right? But I want to move on with me, if you would, still there in verse 22, or now down to verse 22. Where they made disciples, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So uh, It's important to note that once we're disciples... Once we're saved, remember, that's not it. Yes, everything necessary for life and godliness has been given to us, but it's been given to us by also uniting us to a body, by bringing us under the hearing of the word, by, by putting us in these circumstances. It's not something that you simply go out and do on your own alone in the world. What's important, valuable to note here, as they came through each of these places, they came to those who were already disciples, and they strengthened their souls. So listen, where you're at, and you'll know this now, you need to grow in grace, don't you? You need more strength of resistance to the outward temptation. You need a whole lot more strength to resist the inward flow of, of moments of anger and frustration and outbursts. You, you need to be strengthened, don't you? The onslaught and discouragement of people rejecting the gospel that you share with them. You need to be strengthened and encouraged to don't grow weary in doing good. God sees it. He is the rewarder of those. Persevere. Share the work. We need to be strengthened. It's important to know that. So we ought to come together. You don't neglect the, the assembling of the saints together. Because as we come, there is strength. I mean, it is supposed to be one of the most efficient times of feeding upon his word. And if for some reason you're not feeding... What begins to happen to your body? You get weaker and weaker and weaker. And you, what do you need to do? You need to feed again. You need, you need to not only take that in, and then you need to do and serve and exercise those things. And then it strengthens you. They came through and they strengthened. And I know that some people um, who are somehow start to raise to holier levels than the scripture, if such is possible, will even say in here, it says they were strengthening the souls of disciples. Man can't strengthen anybody, only God can strengthen. Man can't do, only the spirit can. Yeah, is your doctrine better than the scripture? So be a little careful. It's not that they're strengthening apart from God's hand. It's not that they're strengthening apart from the working of the Spirit. But God is pleased to use us as His instruments of encouragement, of comfort, of strengthening in the lives of one another. God is pleased to make us members of a body. We're to provoke one another to love and good works. We're to admonish one another, encourage one another, sing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We are, and, and it's not just a going through the motions. It has an actual effect by the working of God. Okay? So it's, it, you know, it's, it's God uses, is pleased to use his people. 
Now listen, strengthen the souls of his disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Next week, we're going to focus a little on that, the faith. Not simply continue believing, but continue in the faith. The way that that phrase shows that what we, it's what we believe. It is, it, it, it is content that informs our conduct. But we'll focus a little bit more on that next Sunday. But I, I want to, our, our last section that we consider here is this. It says strengthening them, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How is that strengthening? How is that encouraging? I mean, the world today would tend to say, no, no, no. It's way more encouraging to say, you will not have any more problems. You will not have any more sickness. You will not have any more suffering. If you just have enough faith, all of these things are solved. People find that more encouraging, isn't it? The scriptures say, strengthened and encouraged by telling them what? It's going to be tough. The word there for tribulation is a word oft translated also affliction. It's gonna hurt. Strengthening them. Why? Because when you know that it is through many tribulations, when you find yourself in the midst of tribulations, what do you do? Oh no, God is, where is he? Where is he when I needed him? There's no doubt. It is more, ah, God said this is exactly what I would experience. Now, Paul is doing this after what has happened. Been ran out of town in Antioch. What has happened? Been stoned in Lystra. So when he says through many tribulations, it's not a figure of speech. It's one who has actually experienced it. He's been run out of town. He's been stoned and left for dead. And not for a moment did he think, where was the Lord? His confidence is, he will never leave me or forsake me. He is with me. And so this horrible, trying, difficult circumstance. This is part of God's design. Part of, part of God's glorious purpose. Part of his work that prepares me for his eternal kingdom. And the glory that he has prepared for those who love him. It is part of his plan. But how frightening when people are told. Hey, if you just have enough faith. You'll be healed. If you just have enough faith. All your bills will be paid. Or how about if you get a job. You might be able to pay your bills. I mean, there's more to it than, than, than just this. You know, it, it, it is the, the band-aid that fixes all problems. No, it's not. It, it is a peace that passes understanding. It is, a, it is a transcendent joy that still resides in us. In the midst of the deepest of practical turmoil, we can rest secure. And stand fast in the confidence of God. Our time is caught, uh, uh, finished today. But we just want to see that idea. Making disciples, strengthening and encouraging them with that necessary warning.
Oh, the, the, the glorious privilege it is to be a disciple of God. Oh, how narrow is the way. How high is the calling. And how many pretenders there are. Oh, that by his grace we would be found to be truly his disciples. Those who continue in his word. Let's pray.